0: Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode 70 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. If you are new to the Motor City Hoops podcast, I'm your host, Bryce Simon, a former D1 Hooper and current teacher, coach, husband, father of three amazing kids, and contributor at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. We are back today with our weekly Tuesday episode drop, talking about all things Pistons and the storyline surrounding the team. Before I introduce our guest for today's episode, I do want to encourage you to check out last week's episode 67 with Omari Sankofa from the Detroit Free Press and if you haven't yet listened to the Detroit Bad Boy flagship podcast with Laz and Ben dropping on Mondays you need to put that in your schedule as well but in this episode I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by a man that has opened a ton of doors for me gave me a job and makes all of my articles sound much much better Sean Corp editor for Detroit Bad Boys Sean welcome to Motor City Hoops and thank you for joining us
1: thanks for having me excited to be here
0: to get into this. On today's episode, we of course will talk about Cade Cunningham, but also dive into some other players on the roster a quarter way into the season and continue to look at the offense as a whole. And we'll dive into a fun topic and find out what three Pistons from past and present Sean and I would like most to sit down and have a meal with. To finish off, we'll play sheet or sham. But from now on, I'll get to play as our producer Wes Davenport is going to run the game for me and my guest keep score, and announce a winner at the end. That should be a lot of fun, but let's start off this with the Pistons offense and continued shooting woes. Blame has ranged from Casey to the offense to the new basketballs, shot selection, and everything in between. Most recently, Sean, there's been a familiar name pop back up, and that's John Beeline. I just want to go straight to you. Where does the majority of the blame for this woeful shooting Land on with you.
1: Uh, well, I don't think it belongs on the feet of John Beeline. Uh, <laughs> one shooting coach or player development coach can only do so much. I think it's it's more uh, regression lack of talent, and just a lack of a lot of players feeling comfortable right now. I think maybe it's just starting to get into their heads a little bit.
0: I think I agree with that a lot. I do think it is starting to get into their heads. I think it was one of those things where we all thought that it would last five games and it was just a bad stretch to start. Well, now this is kind of the elephant in the room, and I think you can see that with specific players like Sadiq Bey, like Cade Cunningham even. But you talked about regression, so are there any players specifically that you feel like maybe – shot better last season than what they're truly going to shoot for their careers or here in in this second season of the restoration.
1: Well, for the sake of the team, I guess I'd guess you'd have to say almost everybody is is shooting a little worse now than you think they will throughout their career. I think taking a step back, uh as I'm thinking about these struggles, it's not like so much what the the players on the roster right now are doing. I think the team really misses uh, a steady night-to-night player like Wayne Ellington that just took a lot of pressure off the young guys. There's no one player. Frank Jackson's not quite there yet. I don't know if he'll ever get there, but there's not that one player you can rely on for like three threes a night that's going to just open things up and make sure that uh, a scoring drought is, you know, seven points instead of 15 points. Uh, There's just no veteran presence on this team, especially with Kelly Olenek out and he was struggling anyway, where you can just, he's not going to be swayed by the struggles on a night to night basis. Like you think maybe a young, a young roster would be prone to. And so guys like Wayne Ellington, guys like Mason Plumley, those were those influences that just made things a little bit easier for all those young guys to kind of thrive in their, you know, beginning roles and specialized roles, and that's just gone right now. So everybody's kind of relying on each other and just pressing too much, trying to do too much, hesitating a little too much. That's why I think it's in their heads. I think you're seeing a lot of guys who are just sort of waiting a half second too long, and they're asking themselves, am I supposed to be passing right now? Am I supposed to be shooting? Should I be driving to create an easier shot? And there's just no flow.
0: No, I agree with that. I'm glad you brought up the vet presence. It's something we've talked about on recent episodes. And you think about this roster. 10, 15 games into last season, and there was a lot more vet minutes going to vets like Wayne Ellington, even a Delon Wright, Mason Plumley, even guys that we are ready to see moved on like Derek Rose and Blake Griffin. But you bring up a great point with the Wayne Ellington and just feeling like you had a guy that was going to knock down the shots when necessary. But I want to go back to Beeline just real quick, and then we're going to yeah. move on to Kate. Why do you think B-line takes the brunt of this? Like, is it because of what happened in Cleveland? You know, you know, what is it? Because, you know, Wes brought this up. He he tracked this down. The Pistons literally have a shooting coach. Like John Beeline's is, I think it's player development or something. I don't even know what his title necessarily specifically is, but it's not shooting coach. David Hopla is the shooting coach, quote unquote, for this team. So why does it fall
1: on Beeline's shoulders for so many people? I think he's the biggest name. He's the most recent addition to the player development staff. I mean, this... A whole team has an entire new assistant coaching staff and yet i don't think i hear that ever mentioned it's because they're not uh, on a first name basis with a lot of basketball fans in the state of michigan like john beeline is and i mean it's been acknowledged that some players shots are getting tweaked i think it's probably a little overblown but like with any tweak is going to come struggles as you try and incorporate it. If it truly is happening, I don't have that expertise, but like when you look at a player who's struggling like Sadiq Bay, who's really struggling from three, I sort of see uh, a lot less of um, his body lurch, you know, his natural shooting motion has that lurch to, in his body. It's a little less significant this year than last year, but it's also seems like his shot is just a little flatter, at least in this early going. And there's a bit of a hitch in it. And I think much more likely than that being part of a a mechanical, you know, remake. I think that's just a young player who knows he's really struggling and he's just not vibing. He's not flowing within the offense. And it's just making him hesitate that, you know, millisecond too long and creating a lot of, you know, front rim shots.
0: So you brought up the tweak and this can lead us right into Cade Cunningham because he's one and it floated around on Twitter. I'm sure you saw saw it where it talked about the low release and how it needs to be brought up. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but like you said, if they are tweaking them, doesn't the fan base, wouldn't you like that? Like, what do you think, Sean, if they're tweaking, let's say Killian, Cade, Sadiq, and I know that historically, uh, historically is not the right term, but last season we saw good numbers from Cade in college and Sadiq as a rookie. but For better long-term success, wouldn't you take some short-term regression if tweaking those shots are going to yield those results? Like If that's what this is, then I'm personally okay with it. We're not trying to win this year anyway.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think another thing with Sadiq, I guess before we even got to Cade, but uh, Sadiq's trying to grow his offense. He's trying not to be a specialist. Maybe that's not going to bear any fruit. Maybe he is destined to be a 3D specialist. I'd rather the team find out in his second year, in the second year of a rebuild, than always wonder if he's a one-dimensional player and whether he could have grown his game. Like Now is the time to explore the parameters of your game, kind of overreach, overstretch, and figure out what you can and can't do, and hopefully be surprised at the skills that get developed. I think with Cunningham... Uh, obviously you don't want that super flat shot or that sort of uh, right in front of his face kind of fling that he does. And now's the time to fix it. But at the same time, especially with Cunningham, this is a, a fan base who's been looking to latch onto somebody for a bit of hope for a while. And it's pretty natural to, to pin all your hopes onto a number one overall pick. And you just want to see that, you know, that player thrive right away as much as it's unlikely to happen. So this is just the growing pains of Cunningham and of a bunch of fans that really want Cunningham to be great.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I understand that. I get it. Like I, I have a physical reaction every single time Kate is shooting a three pointer right now. Cause I want to see it go in. Cause I don't want to see, you know, all the tweets and the negative conversation around it, but I glad you brought up the experiment that this season still is like experimenting with lineups. And especially if it's the young guys, like it's not the Derek Rose, Blake Griffin experiment from last year, where those guys are getting to do these things. It's a guy like Sadiq Bay, where we're finding out about his game. Even Jeremy, Grant and I've been a little down on Jeremy Grant lately, but I still want to find out about him. Can he be an alpha? Can he be a true number one? But let's stay with Cade because you talked about the struggles to score, brought that up, and I, I, we all know this that he struggled to score the ball. So I just want to ask this, and then this will lead us into the rest of the conversation. Would you rather he be struggling to shoot the ball right now, but us see all the other good things we've seen from him? or the other way around? Would you be nervous if you weren't seeing him grab rebounds, not be engaged on defense? I know he has turnovers, but not throw good passes and have possible assists. Which way would you
1: be more nervous? I mean, I think that shooting is probably the more coachable talent. He's showing so many natural abilities. He's showing so much processing ability that's hard to teach. It just comes naturally to some players, and so that's what – I'm sort of pinning my hopes to with Cade right now and just thinking that the shooting will come. I I personally did not expect him to have a really good first season shooting the ball. He really struggled from a lot of phases in the floor of hitting his shots, uh, three-pointers accepted. And so, you know, the fact that he's struggling right now, not a huge surprise to me, but one of the reasons that I wanted Cade at number one overall for the Pistons was he seems like a guy who's going to put the work in. He seems like a guy who takes it all seriously. So, you know, whatever this season leads to, he's going to internalize all those things he struggled with and he's going to, you know, work all off season to fix those issues. And so I think that eventually that shooting will come and it's going to make all those other aspects of his game that he's already shown A lot more dangerous. And I think he's the kind of player because he does not rely on supreme athleticism that, as the team adds more complementary pieces that are more, you know, high functioning players, that's also going to open up his game. So now it's just sort of exploring how to integrate him into the offense, which players fit, which players don't. But, you know, on a night to night basis, as much as I want to see him hit five three pointers, I am just as excited watching him execute these sort of high degree of difficulty passes or dribbling himself into a double team to open up a lane for for a teammate to get an easy basket i've watched a lot of pistons over the years and there are very few players since this team was good that actually made uh or opened up opportunities for their teammates to get easier shots instead of harder And Cade is one of those guys that creates easy opportunities. So that's what I'm more focused on right now.
0: I love that you bring that stuff up because I feel like we've started as a fan base to lose sight of that's who Cade was. That's what we all fell in love with. It wasn't about him scoring 30 a night. Like I don't think he was drafted to be necessarily the number one scoring option on a night-to-night basis that averages 30 a game. I think he was drafted for a lot of the things you talked about, the intangibles, all of that stuff, to average 20 a game, which if he was shooting a good percentage, a, a halfway decent percentage, he'd probably be averaging 20 a game, but to really be that closer, and I feel like in his young career, we've already seen parts of that, so... I love that you brought that up with Cade. Before we move on to something else, I do want to ask about his foul trouble. Are you concerned about that at all? You think he's just a little too handsy defensively, just a young guy learning his ropes in the NBA? What do you think about, and has that thrown off his rhythm a little bit?
1: I mean, I think it's probably thrown off things a bit just with everything else that comes with learning the speed of the game. I think he's also kind of... He likes to uh, cheat off guys and then recover. And so that puts him in an unfortunate situation sometimes. And at the NBA level, that's going to lead to some fouls. But I do also, you you know, you take the good with the bad. His ability to sort of diagram what the offense is doing and – Uh, sort of anticipate where the passing lane is going to be or how to get uh, an opportune deflection or an opportune steal. That's one of the things I love about Cade's game and I'm really high on his defense because of that. So you just have to kind of deal with the foul trouble right now because he's learning, you know, the parameters of what will and will not work at this level kind of on both ends of the floor. So I don't really I mean, I'm worried in so much as it could limit his playing time, but I don't think it's going to be a long-term issue for Cade as far as fouling.
0: And we'll talk about Killian specifically a little bit later, so I don't want to dive into him just individually, but is that def- backcourt defensively, does that excite you? Were were you as excited about that defensive backcourt as what some people were when Cade was drafted and then what you've seen from it so far this season? I don't know how many games they've actually played together, not as many as we would like, but from what you have seen them together, are you excited about the defensive potential of that backcourt?
1: Well, considering how awful the offense has been, I think only <laughs> – the only thing that gets me excited on a night-to-night basis is the the defensive potential of that backcourt. Uh, again, Cade's got to learn how to hit his shots. Killian's got to learn how to look for opportunities and be more aggressive. That's all. They're not going to be successful NBA players if that doesn't happen, but as they struggle to figure that out and as they add more skill and more confidence, they're already a high-level defensive pair. They already work well together. They, they can both ably sort of switch pick and rolls with any other player on the floor and not get lost they create lots of steals hopefully that will lead to a more you know up-tempo uh offense as people get more comfortable and maybe you know the coaching philosophy changes over the next few years uh we could kind of see that flourish a little more but i mean i love killian's defense it's fun to watch every single night, how he frustrates opponents, how he gets into their, you know, jersey. And then Cade is just a really aware. He has a really good spatial awareness all over the floor that I like to watch every single game.
0: So you brought up the offensive struggles and we've talked about this, you know, multiple episodes. We started this episode with that, but I want to know, would you trade the current state of the Pistons, which I would say is a I don't know if it's historically bad offense still, but the worst offense in the NBA, I think by a lot of metrics and a not very good defense. Would you trade that for the other way around? Like a historically bad defense, if it meant we were scoring 105 points a night, like would you, would it be more enjoyable for you to watch? Cause I feel like a lot of fans would say, yes, give me an offense that's more enjoyable to watch. Even if it means our defense is absolutely historically bad.
1: Would you make that trade? Uh well my my brain says that I should want to you know hitch my wagon to some defense cuz you're not going to have much success without it but my heart and and my eyeballs that have watched horrible Pistons offenses for over a decade says please just give me some competent offense I've I'm dying for some competent offense some you know 115 point per game type team I I would kill for that just just once just show it to me once and then they can retool the roster and add some more defense but I think this is probably a bottom five pace team almost every single year of the last decade a bottom 10 offense every single year of the last decade except for maybe one Van Gundy year uh I'm so ready for some actual competent offense that I can't even explain it.
0: So Wes, you, you have a couple of little nuggets for us as, in terms of that. So I'm going to let Wes jump in here with a couple stats on the offense and the pace.
2: Yeah, uh, real quick. So I just looked it up uh, on offense. Their offensive rating is third worst. Uh, they're just ahead of Oklahoma City and the Rockets um, by 0.2 points. So not by a lot, but third worst. Uh, and they're actually 15th in pace this year.
0: Yeah. So I do think that recently, what do you think about that show? I think recently we've seen them try to push the pace a little bit more. I don't know how that's trended since the start of the year. And, and I think a lot of fans to go back to my initial question. I think a lot of fans would agree with you that like, even if we're going to be bad and not win games, it would just be more aesthetically pleasing to see an offense that can score the basketball you know, and hopefully this shooting is going to get better than what we've seen so far. But do you feel like there's been a little bit more emphasis to push the pace over the last, I don't know, 10 games or so?
1: I mean, I certainly think it's something that Cade likes to do. And I think having both Cade and Killian as someone who can receive that initial pass, I think that's conducive to it. I would, I kind of wonder now hearing that, how much of that is reflective of their, you know, their... St- generating a lot more steals and that can lead to some transition opportunities. That's not typically there for Pistons teams. So I wonder how much of that is tied to their ability to get the other team to turn the ball over. But uh, you know, as I just want it faster, I I want easy transition opportunities as hard as this team makes uh, transition opportunities. Look like they just need to try different ways to generate some easy offense. And so, you know, faster uh, is better. I agree
0: because they're just not very good at playing against a half court set defense. So even if it's not just a true fast break, I've talked about this before, it doesn't have to be eight second and shot like, you know, the Suns team of the early 2000s or whenever it was. The tenth and steals for the Pistons. West just dropped that little nugget as well. So, um, you know, you're right. They're creating some opportunities to get out in transition with those uh, forced turnovers. One guy I want to talk about as we move into some other players and just kind of check in a, a quarter way through this season, and that's Frank Jackson. I thought he was struggling earlier in the year, and he has shown an improvement with his shooting recently, like over the last ten games. I thought he was a guy that was taking shots a little outside of what his role is or what he was really comfortable with. What have you thought about Frank Jackson, even going back to what you saw at the end of last year and what you expected coming into this season?
1: I think Frank Jackson's actually kind of playing that role that everybody sort of put the mantle on Sadiq Bey in the preseason of, okay, we know he's a 40% three-point shooter, but now look, he's he's adding new elements to his game. It's been interesting to watch uh Frank Jackson kind of drive the lane a lot more drive aggressively drive in transition. He used to be a pretty high flyer in college and sort of had to learn how to become a shooting specialist. As I think he had a foot injury that kind of sapped a little bit of that athleticism, but I think he's finding a, a comfort zone in both areas of the game. And so, you know, in the preseason, I said that Frank Jackson might be the most important bench player the Pistons have because they just desperately need somebody to hit three-pointers on a consistent basis. And, you know, as long as he's doing that, he's an extremely valuable piece. If he can add to that the ability to actually, you know, drive to the rim and isn't afraid to do it, I think that's all the better and especially as some of the other guys are shooting with their perimeter shot. This team wouldn't be anywhere near any victory if it wasn't for Frank Jackson the last couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, I think he's done a really good job f- like getting comfortable with his role off the bench. I think he's starting to find the shots he needs to be taking. I felt like he was kind of hunting out shots early in the season because he wasn't sure whether he was going to get the ones um, or get enough attempts. But you brought it up kind of the athleticism, and you know, everybody tweets about it now. I think he had a, the two handed dunk against uh, the Lakers, I believe that was. Um, on Sunday night, I know it was on Sunday night, but I believe it was in that game, if not the game before, but he's kind of sneaky athleticism and he just, his ability to attack the basket in general has been better than I thought. And whenever you can shoot the ball. The way he has shown at times, you are going to get guys to close out hard to you, and then have opportunities to make plays. The next guy I want to check in on here, twenty games into the season, is Luca Garza. I'll be honest; he's probably already played more minutes than I thought he would in his rookie season. He has played in when I look eleven games this season, averaging eleven minutes a game. Got a couple starts with the Isaiah Stewart and LeBron James dust up, which I'll ask you about here in a little bit. What have you thought about Luca Garza just from the time you've seen?
1: Uh, Well, I I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, but I just don't see an NBA game in Luca Garza. I just don't think he's ever going to be the defender. I don't think he's going to be the shooter. Don't think he's going to be the rebounder that you're really going to need. He's already so, you know, at an advanced age compared to some young other developing players. So, I mean, Garza's kind of delivered exactly what I thought he would in the early stages of his rookie season. He's made a couple shots. He provides energy, but he's kind of deficient in all the areas that it seemed like he would be deficient in. So he's just not a guy I really see it with. I I know some people are huge fans, you know, I'll root for his success, but I I just don't think that's a a long term or even a, a medium term answer to, uh, what the Pistons are looking for.
0: So you don't really see an NBA future whatsoever for Luca Garza. I mean, you, you know, maybe a guy that's the the fifth big, but not necessarily your third big.
1: I mean, yeah, I don't see him having the athleticism needed to really succeed in the paint near the basket to be sort of a high efficiency uh, rim player. I don't think he's converting very well on threes maybe that changes but even if it does he gives so much back on the defensive end that it's going to be probably just kind of a net negative and so i just i don't think that the pieces are there for him to have that level of success um if he you know can go and get a little bit stronger or learn techniques so he doesn't get pushed around so much down low that he can use that actual natural size to become uh, a plus rebounder, then maybe that changes the equation a little bit. But right now in these early stages, I just don't see it. And I didn't really see it in college either. I
0: I don't mind that answer whatsoever, Sean. And and I'm still trying to decide where I land with Luca Garza. There's times where I'm like the offensive game can translate. But if he's not knocking down threes at a very high rate, I'm not sure what else he brings you, especially right now. I think he needs to get better as a short roll passer. And you brought up just like finishing around the basket. I thought maybe he could be a crafty finisher around the basket with a high skill level. But I don't know that he's shown an ability to really do that. You know the defense is going to be a negative. I think the rebounding is the big thing. He's going to have to be a positional rebounder. So I'm still intrigued enough by him that I don't mind seeing the minutes, especially this year where we're still experimenting with things. But I wouldn't be shocked if his career plays out kind of the the path that you laid out there a little bit. The the next guy I had on the list was Sadiq Bey. I know we've talked about Sadiq Bey um, quite a bit already. You know, I feel like he's been struggling lately. Do you think it's the shot selection? You know, we talked about, you know, him trying to do things and maybe we don't mind that. But what would you like to see from Sadiq over the next five or 10 games that would make you feel a little bit more comfortable about his growth?
1: I don't want him to just revert to just being a three-point shooter unless that, you know, leads to him being a much more comfortable player. I think that's what I want to see. I want to see him in a comfort zone where he's not thinking so much. He's obviously kind of... Every time he gets the ball, he seems like he's going through about five or six options and trying to figure out what the best decision is. And it's not, you know, it's not leading to good results. Um, I think if he wants to just get the ball and react, whether that's shoot the three or drive to the rim or do something else, I'm willing to take this season to figure out what his game can really be. Uh, But, if the only way that he can really find that comfort zone is in his, you know, three point catch and shoot space, then I think there's no problem with that. Uh, Lots of guys get paid to hit three pointers, you know, uh, Duncan Robinson got what, like $70 million. There's nothing wrong with being a three point specialist, especially one that can defend multiple positions. So I don't think it's a negative to say that Sadiq Bay might just be a three point shooter it's always better to combine a dangerous three point shot with a lot of other skills. So if he wants to see if he can develop those, if the team wants to develop those, that's great. I'm starting to wonder if maybe that comes more in a featured bench role than being sort of this third or fourth guy on the offensive end. That's kind of sometimes getting lost sometimes not, you know, making those quick decisions that need to happen to get the offense to function. And so I think, you know, Dwayne Casey has to be willing to tinker with things as long as he's still emphasizing playing young guys, as long as he's still emphasizing development. That development does not necessarily have to happen in the starting lineup with any of the players, whether it's, you know, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, Killian Hayes. Uh, and so it's just kind of figuring out who to mix and match together and figuring out how to get these players back into a more comfortable zone for themselves.
0: So not to put you on the spot, but let's say Dwayne Casey did decide and everybody, let's say everybody's healthy, including Kelly Olynyk, and coach Casey did decide like, Hey, let's try Sadiq off the bench. Maybe he could be more comfortable in that role. And, you know, it would work better for him. And we've seen him stagger those minutes where I think he he's the first sub and then he starts the second corner kind of with the second unit. So we've seen this in a roundabout way. But let's say he fully made the move for him with the second unit or off the bench. Is there a particular guy you'd like to see with the starting lineup? Like one of the guys not getting to start right now that you think may flourish playing alongside
1: Killian and Cade? I think that I want to see a player that, seems like they have a lot of chemistry with Cade. And so I think it would just be Frank Jackson. He shoots the three well, he's confident he's running all over the floor. Cade's able to find him because he's always moving. He's always willing to find an open space. Uh, And I, you know, really like that. I think I'm watching these games a lot with, you know, the ability to develop chemistry with Cade Cunningham in mind. And uh, there's a, not many players that look more comfortable alongside Cade and vice versa than Frank Jackson. So if there was a move, at least among the you know perimeter players, I think it would be to install Frank into the starting lineup. That
0: would be interesting. I wouldn't mind seeing that necessarily. Um, And it's not me thinking that Sadiq Bey, and I don't think for you with Sadiq Bey saying like he can't become still what we think, but maybe he'd be more comfortable in that role. And he'd kind of be the alpha with that group where he didn't really have to worry about what shot he was taking. And we could maybe see him grow a little bit, be something interesting to keep an eye on moving forward. The last guy I want to talk about is Killian Hayes. We've talked a little bit about him, obviously dealing with the injury, you know, early in his career in general, we've seen him have to deal with injuries and it'd just be nice to see him stay on the floor you know I know one thing a lot of people were waiting to see for the Lakers game was was him being back on the floor making noticeable difference for the offense did you think that did you watch that Lakers game and then taking into account all the games do you think the offense flows better with him on the floor and just the team in general
1: I think definitely it flows better with Hayes on the floor I think that he's a, a willing distributor I think obviously Corey Joseph is going to pass the ball and and Cade's always going to be a featured player on offense, but Cade's looking to pass, you know, for better and for worse, because he needs to, you know, learn a little bit of selfishness and aggressiveness with his offensive game for himself. But he's always looking to drive, always looking to, you know, dish it out to the perimeter, looking for cutters. And you really saw that against the Lakers. He had eight assists to just one turnover. I think that, you know, you mentioned Cade's turnover problems earlier. I went into the draft thinking he's probably not a point guard, but he can be a lead ball handler. So that means you need to join him with another, you know, primary passing option, preferably one that can hit, you know, some shots. But I lo- that's another reason I love the Cade Killian potential is that they're both really good passers both really able to execute in transition and execute the pick and roll. And I think it just having killing back in the lineup took some of that pressure off of Cade to create everything. And it really just got all of the other players moving just a little bit so that the offense, you know, started to make a little more sense. Maybe the, you know, Lakers defense had a little say in that as well, but it was just nice to see something that, you know, made sense on the offensive end of the floor.
0: So if I told you Killian Hayes was gonna make one improvement throughout the rest of this season or maybe to start next season offensively, what would that improvement be like? What's the one biggest thing you think would be vital or huge or make a big and what would make the biggest impact if it
1: was an improvement to his offensive game? I think instinctually, just because the team struggles so much, you want to say three pointers, but I think with Killian actually If I could choose just one thing and I could just magically give it to him, I'd love for him to be able to finish at the rim. He's got such, you know, great size for a point guard. I think he's faster than people give him credit for. If he was able, even as, you know, kind of a one hand dominant player, if he was able to get to the rim and convert looks or get to the free throw line because of his aggressiveness and threat of scoring because of quality body body control and touch, I think that would open up the offense in ways even greater than having another competent three-point shooter because this team really has no rim pressure whatsoever, and it makes the team so much easier to defend. It's really just... Jeremy Grant, and that's about it. Uh, Sometimes Corey Joseph gets going, but if you could add somebody in the starting lineup who could consistently get to the rim and be a dangerous presence, it opens up so many passing lanes. It opens up much easier three-point opportunities, and it seems like something that could actually be a part of Killian's future Because of his natural, you know, strength and size.
0: I have to admit, I think I would probably instinctually answer the catch and shoot three pointer because I do think that's going to be a a major thing for him to be able to do off of Cade Cunningham. But you bring up a lot of really good points. And I think with Killian, I just like to see it happen more often. We saw a great drive Sunday night against the Lakers where he looked really explosive. And like you do, like you say, I do think the quote unquote lack of athletes explosiveness or speed or whatever. I think it's overstated. I think he can get where he needs to go. I think it's a mentality thing. And I hope that we continue to, we've started to see him come out of his shell in terms of showing emotion on the floor. And I think that means he's starting to get comfortable. He's still very young in terms of number of games played. And so I'm excited to watch his progression throughout the season. And if we see him continue to be more and more aggressive, hopefully he's able to stay healthy. One last thing before we just tell the the listeners who we'd like to go have supper with um, from the current, current and past uh, Pistons rosters. I have to ask you about the Isaiah Stewart and LeBron James dust-up. I know it's been over a week now. We played the Lakers last night. There was really no signs of that in the game Sunday night against the Lakers. What were your thoughts, just initial thoughts or even thoughts after you had a couple days on what happened between those two?
1: I think that uh, it was an unfortunate situation where something was very much intentionally done by James, but he was trying to send uh, a light message uh, by kind of just swatting at Stuart. And uh, he made much more severe contact than he intended. It opened up some wounds and uh, Stuart lost his cool in a way that it just really can't happen to that level, obviously. But I don't regret or I don't blame him for, for being pissed and going, you know going at James for you know a little explanation, a little retribution. Obviously he can't fight. obviously he can't you know be uh, tackled by five teammates to prevent him from trying to murder somebody that can't happen. But I love the way that Stuart plays. I think the only reason James did that in the first place is because Stuart plays in an aggressive, hard no style in a good way. And it made James overreact. So, you know, as a Pistons fan, as a fan of hard-nosed basketball, I love that he's the kind of player that can get under somebody's skin just by playing hard. And, you know, Stewart didn't do anything dirty initially to kind of warrant what James did. So it was, you know, a whole lot of nothing really. Uh, one-game suspension, whatever. They were, I didn't expect anything to happen in the follow-up game. I think both players just wanted to treat it as water under the bridge and move on with their lives because I don't think either of them are inherently fighters, inherently dirty players. I think you know, Isaiah Stewart's a st- soft-spoken guy, and he just wants to put his work in and play hard. And so uh, if you're going to you know punch him in the face for playing hard, he's going to react accordingly
0: yeah I think my biggest thing with that is I understood some of the initial pushes that Stuart had, but I would have liked to see him be able to calm himself down eventually. I feel like the third one and the fourth one, and I said this on the last episode, and then you know running through you know behind the out in the the hallway. You know, maybe it was a little bit much, but I understand this frustration. You brought up hard-nosed basketball, though, so let's get into this mill with the Pistons. So, I, I will admit, I took this from a tweet from the Everything Pistons podcast, and they had one of those graphics, you know, where it's two people at a table, and you pick which table you would like to go eat with. And so, we kind of took that idea and we we changed it just a little bit. So, Sean, you're going to get to choose one player from a f- from three different eras, and the first one, like I said, from hard-nosed basketball, was the bad boys that's the first one you have to pick one player no coaches no executives nothing like that one player from the bad boys era to start off your meal with
1: I always grew up as a Joe Dumars fan he was always my favorite player when I was a little kid I think he's got great stories to tell as a player he's got great stories to tell as an executive so uh, my choice from that era would definitely be Dumars Okay, so just so the listeners
0: know, that's literally what my notes say, is Joe Dumars, because he had player stories, and he was was an executive, so you would have those stories as well. So, I, I had Joe Dumars as well, you know, he has the Sportsmanship Award named after him, so... I think he would be an awesome guy to sit down and just get the insights and the stories. And, and I feel like as someone that's been an outsider for most of my life in terms of the Pistons, he's underappreciated from people outside of Detroit and that really follow the Pistons organization. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. I also feel like, let, let's just say, if you were going for the most interesting, Sean, I think Isaiah Thomas or obviously Dennis Rodman, what would you say? If, like, if you were going a little more outside the box, someone that maybe would spice things up, who would you choose?
1: Um, well, if I'm having a meal, I'm trying to figure out what's my ability or inability to have a good conversation with somebody. I feel like Dennis probably has a lot of stories to tell that I'd be fascinated by, but I don't know if I'm the kind of guy that can pry it out of them might just be a very quiet meal. So I think, uh, Isaiah is a talker. He basically wants to be given center stage and just, you know, let him cook. So I think that for the stories that I would just by proxy want to tell everybody in my life from that night, I would probably go with Isaiah Thomas because he would probably just spin like 10 priceless stories in an hour and you just wouldn't get a word in edgewise and that'd be just fine.
0: (laughs) It it would be fun to sit down and listen. Okay. The next arrow we're going to take a player from is the going to work team. So who off the going to work squad would you have as your second member of the dinner?
1: You gotta go with Rasheed Wallace.
0: Is there any particular reason why, why, why Sheed for you? Cause I have been, I have been Wallace because he, he went Juco, Virginia Union, undrafted to defensive player of the year. The mentality played with like him and I, I hope could share some old Juco stories and what it was like playing at that level. So I went with Ben Wallace. I did have Sheed as my second option cause I thought he might be the most interesting. Is that why it would be Sheed for you?
1: Well, I think actually it's, it's, uh, Pretty much the complete opposite reasons that Ben Wallace is an appealing uh, dinner guest. When you're thinking about the way that Sheed came up, he was always the top guy. He went to a top program. He was a top pick. He was always under the spotlight. But instinctually, he was never a guy that wanted any of it. He just wanted to play team ball. He never you know, hunted for his stats. He would do anything sometimes to his own detriment because he was just trying to fit within the flow of the game of the offense and get the win. And he was a, a great player on both ends of the court. Uh, and also I think that one, he would have a million, a million great stories. There were st- stories that could not be repeated on this podcast for sure. Uh, and I think also if you're thinking about the one player who's probably just born in the wrong era and you know, maybe it's better for him considering all the fines he racked up, but Rashid Wallace in today's era of basketball in today's era of social media would be like the most popular player in the NBA. He would be an absolute solid gold, hundred percent stud in every aspect as a defender, three point shooter, could defend multiple positions. And he was basically like made in a lab for the Twitter era of basketball fandom. And it's a crime that there are so few Rasheed Wallace gifts out on the internet, uh, especially in a Pistons uniform, especially in a a Blazers uniform. And just, I just want to express that myself to Rasheed Wallace, that somebody needs to just go through his archive and create this sort of Library of Alexandria uh, of just Rashid Wallace, you know, GIF reactions because they could be used in any situation.
0: Yeah, there would be there would be plenty to go around. I actually coached with a guy that he played at Iowa State and then he played against Rasheed Wallace and he was actually telling me a story the other day and I will not tell the story on the podcast, but he was telling a pretty funny story about his time playing against Rasheed Wallace whenever they went up against North Carolina. But the last one, and then we got to get to Shida Sham. So now the last is from the 2010s until now. So you can choose any player from 2010 up until the current roster. So who's the third and final person that you'll have at your dinner?
1: Oh, this is so depressing. 2010 and on. Yeah. I want to say that, again, just for the inside baseball stories of what really went down, I think I want to hear from Greg Monroe. As I want to hear the guy who was drafted seventh overall, had a really good rookie season, seemed like the team was fully invested in him, and then they drafted Andre Drummond and then they signed Josh Smith. I want to hear like the TikTok play by play of the Josh Smith experience, and I definitely don't want to hear it from Josh Smith. So, I would say uh, the second best source of info is probably Greg Monroe, as biased as he is. I think he'd be biased in a way that I would, I would enjoy. So I want to hear some of those war stories. I got you. That makes sense. That's a really good one. I, would, I
0: wanted to choose Allen Iverson. I was just one year off. Allen Iverson is actually the player I fell in love with the game of basketball watching. Um, even though our games do not resemble each other whatsoever, I loved Allen Iverson. I actually ended up choosing Derrick Rose. Um, I guess I'm kind of, you know, going with like some personal things here, like Ben Wallace, the Juco stuff. I had a bunch of knee injuries in my career. Obviously, that's something Derrick Rose has dealt with. And so I think that's kind of where those guys connected um, for me. I do want to say that I feel like Boban would be a lot of fun, though, right? Like you have to consider Boban. Did you even think of, of Boban? Oh,
1: I, no, I didn't think about him because he flourished so completely once he went to L.A. and became like a Hollywood star it it's hard to think of the Bobon years as like belonging to the pistons really even it the created you know the bobi and toby friendship for life and i i will say it it's tough for me to hear anybody say anything nice about alan iverson in relation to the pistons i i'm still kind of taken aback by by i'm i'm processing
0: i know it it's the I fell in love with watching Allen Iverson on the 76ers. Like it just th- that's what happened. I know
1: maybe it doesn't bring up great memories for Pistons fans. I mean, he basically murdered a franchise that's still trying to recover, but I get it.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Sean. I uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I can't hide from it. It, it is what it is and uh, hopefully we don't lose too many uh listeners or followers or uh
1: people reading articles at Detroit Bad Boys. So, um we we'll just blame Joe Dumars, who I did say I wanted to have dinner with. So, I guess nobody's hands are clean here.
0: All right, fair enough. And I want to hear, we would love to hear what your guys' thoughts on this. What? Who would you from the each era, Bad Boys going to work 2010 so now, tweet at me, DM me, hit me up on Facebook or drop in the comments of the Detroit Bad Boys article. But to finish off the show, before we let you guys go, I'm going to bring Wes back in and Wes is going to run Sheed or Sham for the rest of the episode. So that way I can play along with Sean. This will be general NBA topics that Wes uh, will throw at us some stats and facts, and we have to decide whether it's true or false. Sheed would be true, ball don't lie, or false, a sham. So Wes, I want to bring you in and you introduce the game and get us started.
2: Yeah. So like you said, uh, Sheed is true, sham is false. Just going to run through some stats and then we're going to start off with a couple of the teams we're playing. The Pistons are playing this week. So we'll, we'll jump right in with the Blazers. And when you think about Damian Lillard, right, you think about clutch time. So uh, this, the fact quote unquote, the fact is Damian Lillard is the best fourth quarter three-point shooter on the Blazers. Is that Sheed true or Sham false? And Bryce, why don't we start with you to kind of let Sean warm up? I'm
0: going to go with Sham. I feel like that's Sham right now. I'm going to go with CJ McCollum. I know you didn't ask for an answer, but I'm going to say CJ.
1: So I'm Sham. And I guess I will say Sheed, because even if it's not true, it feels true. And it instills fear in the hearts of opponents like it's true. So it's sheet in spirit.
2: Gotcha. Uh, so it is actually sham. Uh, right now he's shooting 38% uh, from three in the fourth quarter, which is not bad, uh, especially on 2.3 attempts per game. So he's still real dangerous there. But uh, CJ McCollum and actually Afrony e. Simons are both shooting over 50% uh, with pretty good volume, 1.6 and 1.3 of attempts in the fourth quarter.
0: I would not have had Simons whatsoever. I always answer CJ McCollum whenever I get a chance cuz he pay, played in the same league as me. I actually coached against him. Um but Anthony Simons would not have been on my list. Sean, what about you? Would you have had Anthony Simons anywhere in your top 5?
1: I would not have guessed Simons, but as a player who's loved Simons and wanted to trade for him for like the past 4 years, it it makes me sad that it's true because Uh, he'd fit in nicely on the Pistons. He he might get some minutes here.
2: All right, Wes, take us to the next one, bud. Yep. So, all right, now we're going to jump to the Suns. Uh, So Sheed or Sham is McCall Bridges. McCall Bridges is a top five, is top five on the Suns for individual defensive rating.
0: I'm
1: going to say Sheed. That one has to be true. I am going to say Sham because he's such a big minutes player that, even as a top defender you're going to play with some in some dud units so i'm going to say sham
2: sean you are right that is sham oh, come uh, so on. he's actually seventh yeah he's seventh on the team for players averaging over 10 minutes uh his defensive rating individually is 103 and get this so frank the tank kaminsky is actually second on the team with a defensive rating of 96.
1: See, so this just disproves the utility of plus minus and individualized ratings in like one season, because I think we all know that Kaminsky is a garbage defender.
0: <laughs> I think that's the best way of putting it. So does that one still count since Sean just disproved it? Oh,
1: crap. Never mind.
2: <laughs> I say it counts because McCall uh, Bridges is second on the team in his net rating. So it it checks out there. Okay, we're one-to-one. All right, so now I kind of jumped down a a clutch shot rabbit hole. So all of these are going to be in the fourth quarter with a five-point difference, and I made sure that there were at least nine games played uh, in that situation. So uh, Sheed or Sham, Chris Paul leads the NBA in clutch free throws made uh, on average.
1: Sham. I am going to say Sheed because in spite of his playoff reputation – There's like no greater clutch player than Chris Paul. So anytime those two things go together, I'm going to say it's true. Sheed.
2: That is correct. Uh, It is Sheed. He's averaging 1.8 makes uh, in those clutch situations. He's also a uh, plus 4.4 in the clutch. Uh, Jeremy Grant, though, second in the NBA with clutch free throws made with 1.6. Wow, that is a great nugget,
0: Wes, because I was going to ask if you had anybody else in the top five. But, the, I mean, if you do, great. If not, the fact that Jeremy Grant's number two um, is a really good little piece of information there. And so, Sean, I want to ask you real quick. You know, there's a lot of talk about Chris Paul, winner, not winner. He's never won a championship. Like, I still consider Chris Paul a winner. We've talked about this on the podcast in its early days a ton. Like, I still think he's a winner because he goes places and he wins games and he makes teams better. Do you consider Chris Paul a winner?
1: Oh, 100%. I think you cannot lay the blame of any playoff frustrations at the feet of Paul. I think even if you look into the actual stats, like – in individual seasons or especially in aggregate, like he performs very well in the playoffs. He performs very well in the clutch. His teams do better. Sometimes he's been injured. Sometimes there's bad luck. He, I think there are a few players saddled with an unfair reputation more than Paul in the playoffs. He is. There's few players I would want as my starting point guard in a playoff series than Chris Paul.
2: I agree. Wes, uh, I think this would be number four. Yep. So uh, next one, the New Orleans Pelicans are shooting as a team eight percent from the three uh, point line in the clutch. Sheed or Sham? Uh, Bryce will keep with you going first. Are <laughs> uh, you sure
0: this is this isn't a Piston stat? Um,
1: I just want it to be true. So Sheed. I will say Sheed because I'm going to guess that the Pelicans have not spent much time in clutch situations so far this season.
2: That's a great point, Sean. So it is Sheed. Uh They have had over nine games in the clutch, but I'm pretty sure uh, I didn't have it up, but I think it was only nine or 10. So they're right at the bottom of it. Um, but yeah, so they are the absolute worst shooting team in the clutch, uh, 29% from the floor, and then their net rating... Uh, is the worst by about 2.5 points in those situations as a team.
0: This is some awesome stuff, Wes. Like this is, you, you really did go down a rabbit hole with this stuff.
2: Yeah, well, it's so easy on NBA.com, right? You just filter everything. They do make seconds. it easy. All right, next one. Uh, your Detroit Pistons lead the league in turnovers and clutch situations as a team. Is that Sheed true or Sham false?
1: She <laughs> Oh, this one, this feels true, but I will say sham.
2: I'll even go, does Cade lead the league? No, uh, he doesn't, and this is sham. Uh, So (laughs) almost, it's very close.
1: Is it, uh, when I'm thinking about the truly horrific clutch teams, I think of the Pistons, of course, the Rockets, and the Kings.
2: So the Kings are tied with the Pistons. They're both uh, second worst with 1.1 turnovers in the clutch. The Celtics are actually the worst with 1.2. Oh, my
1: goodness. (laughs) If you gave me 30 guesses, I might have gotten to 30 before I said the Celtics. That was a good call with the Kings, though, Sean. That was well done. Well, they're terrible.
0: (laughs) Do you have any player, individual players on that one, Wes? I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't know you don't have it pulled up right now. You do your research ahead of time, but you don't, you don't happen to have any players,
1: do you?
2: I did not uh, have any individual players on this one, no.
1: Maybe it's for the best. We probably don't want to hear the answers.
2: Fair enough, fair enough. So right
0: now the score is Sean four, Bryce 2.
2: Okay. So uh, this one, we're going to go rapid fire. Uh, I kind of try to compare Cade and Luka Doncic so far this year in clutch situations because they've played very similar number of games and uh, minutes in those. So uh, it's just going to be uh, a quick, like we've been doing true or false and uh, we'll, we'll, try and go quick. So um, right. They have played the same number of games. Okay. So, Scoring for this one's going to be totaled, and at the end of the little rapid fire, winner's going to take all the points. All right. Got it. All right, so let's go. Uh, who has more field goal attempts in the clutch, Cade or Luca? Uh,
1: Cade. I'm going to say Cade.
2: It's Luca. He has 1.9, and Cade has 1.7. Uh, who shoots a higher three point percentage?
1: Luca. Uh, Luca.
2: Yep. It's Luca. He's got 39%. Cade's at 33. Who is the better clutch rebounder? Cade. Cade. I made this too easy. It's Cade. Yep. 1.1. And Luca's only got 0.4. Who has a better plus minus? Luca. Luca. Yep. Luca. But it's close. So Luca's a plus 0.6. Cade's plus 0.3. And who has more total field goals uh, made in the clutch? Hold on one one second. Is this the last
0: one, Wes, for the rapid fire? It is, but I have a tiebreaker. Oh, you do have a tie. Okay. So uh, that's why I want to say because right now we're tied. So can you ask the question again?
2: Yes. So who has more total field goals made in the clutch? Luca or Cade? Cade. Luca. It's Luca. He has seven. He has five. <laughs> Luca's only attempted one more shot situation. <laughs> Sean clapping in the background. So he gets all the points for that? Well, yeah, but it's 1 point and they're just going oh, okay. to take off for it. But for fun, uh, since we got a second, we'll do the tiebreaker. So, Sheed or Sham? Cade and Luca average the same number of turnovers in the clutch. They have the same number of turnovers, not average. Sheed.
1: Oh. Oh, okay. I'm going to say that Sheed because Cade has less games but probably more turnover prone.
2: So at sheet, they both have three, and they so Lucas played thirteen games uh, in this situation. Kate twelve, so it's actually very similar. So just to to
0: round up the scoring there, Sean beat me in the rapid fire four to three. He gets an extra point and beats me overall five to two. So we don't have any special bells and whistles or anything like that on the Motor City Hoops podcast. But Sean, congratulations on winning the first official sheet or sham competition.
1: Well, I uh, I feel honored to have. Uh, that you let me win.
0: (laughs) No, no, you were definitely better than me. And I hope you guys enjoy this that are listening. And I hope you guys are able to play at home while you listen. If there's a way we can make it better so you guys can participate, um, let us know. But this is a fun segment for us to do. And again, it allows Wes to have his voice heard on the podcast when he does so much. That's going to wrap it up. But before we go, I want to thank Sean. Sean, I hope you will come back and join us again. And obviously, everybody at Detroit Bad Boys knows who you are and what you do. But just give everybody a chance to to find you and the content that you put out.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, everything always goes back with me to Detroit Bad Boys. So DetroitBadBoys.com. Follow at Detroit Bad Boys. You'll find all of the great content, including the amazing content that Bryce has created in the last year in text, on video, online. He's been an invaluable addition. This podcast is already one of the best and uh, thrilled to have you on board. Well, thank you very much, and uh, you know, I had
0: in my notes, notes to thank Sean again for the opportunities he's provided myself and Motor City Hoops. Like he just found me on Twitter, just throwing you know videos out, and he reached out to me. And I don't know where I would be where Motor City Hoops would be if it wasn't for him. So I owe Sean so much for the Detroit Bad Boys connection, everything he's done. As always, I want to thank Wes Davenport for everything he does for Motor City Hoops to make it better for you, the listeners, and easier for me. And finally, I want to. Thank thank all of you for listening to the podcast and supporting all the content that Motor City Hoops is creating. The podcast will be back late Thursday night with this West Coast trip with an instant recap and reaction episode after the game versus the Suns. If you're still awake about 60 minutes after the final buzzer, make sure you check that out or listen first thing Friday morning. Following that episode, we'll be back next Tuesday with a friend of the podcast, Richard Stamen, or better known as @mavsdraft on Twitter, for an episode talking Pistons, draft prospects, and the NBA at large. Thank you, go Pistons, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.